0: Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is our text today. As we continue on our series on Ecclesiastes under the sun, uh, we're going to be in chapter 5. When Jackie and I were married, I was the student minister at First Baptist Church, Anna, Texas. Uh, and uh, she was the secretary there, and we got those jobs while we were, while we were engaged, and that, that worked out pretty cool. And one day, our, during this one season, we were, we were uh, renovating... The student center, this building where we were gathering and meeting, and, and um, I was I was pretty obsessed with it, uh, okay? I, like some of you, I was pretty proud with it. Any of you ever built a house and you, like, visit every day a couple times a, a day? That's kind of how I was with this renovation of the student center, and it wasn't a huge project. We were a real small church, but I was excited about it. In fact, uh, to save money, I hung all the blinds in the place, and I changed out the toilet seats of every see and... Toilet seeds are gross, y'all, and, and, and I did that because I was so excited, you know, about this. I would go, and I'd be there at 8 o'clock, and, and I'd go back through at 10 o'clock and just check to see if anything had drastically changed. It did not, but I still go by and check. One time when I went over there, I walk in there, and I had noticed, even though there was nobody else in the whole building, that someone had spilt a five-gallon bucket of paint it was just laid over and there's this big puddle of paint dark carpet light paint and i had also noticed that they had walked through the paints and down the hall and out the door i kid you not so what i very quickly learned was somebody with adult-sized shoes spilled the paint walked through the paint and did not clean up the paint so In my little project, I was quite interested in this and and maybe a little emotional, and I followed these uh, paint footprints down the hall and out the door across this sidewalk, this little patch of grass up the stairs to our office building. And so I, I walk in there, and as you can imagine, the paint is getting faint. It's getting lighter and lighter as it goes, but very clearly paint on shoes all the way through there. And they led all the way to our pastor's office door. So I knock on the door, and he's like, yeah. And so I just open the door without walking in, right? I just open the door, and, and I can clearly see this faint track of paint that goes through the carpet over to behind his desk where he is sitting. And I said, hey, do you know anything about the paint in the student center? And he goes, paint? No. And I was like, are you sure? Because somebody spilled paint in the student center, walked through it. And he goes, really? And I said, yes. And he goes, hmm. And I was like, okay. And so I just shut the door, you know, and went and cleaned up paint. It was the weirdest conversation I've ever had with a person purporting to be an adult. But uh, that was not, there were many, many more conversations like that, that. You can ask Jackie. It was a crazy time in our lives. So I went and cleaned up paint. But have you ever heard the phrase uh, I stepped in it? Or I, I've gotten this all over the place. It happens in a number of different situations. It's why your parents told you, and if you're a parent, it's why your parents told you to not step in the puddles in the the grocery store parking lot, because there's all sorts of stuff that you don't want to step in and then track back into the vehicle or into the store or something. It's the very same reason that you will be careful while you're walking around barefooted in somebody's backyard who owns a dog, because you do not want to step in it. It also happens in our relationships, right? How many of you have ever walked up to a conversation, thought you knew what the conversation was about, began to speak, and then very quickly realized you stepped in it, right? Has that ever happened to you? And no matter how hard you try to back out of that conversation, no matter what you say to try to defend yourself, no matter how many times you say, no, 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 I did not mean it that way, You stepped in it, and you drug it all over the place. This whole step in it thing is relevant to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 because it begins with these words. Guard your steps. Guard your steps. In other words, what the Koheleth, the teacher, the preacher in Ecclesiastes is sharing with us is this need to be careful as you move forward. Don't step in it, he says. Be careful and make sure that when you are going forward, you are being very concerned about where you are stepping. But it's not talking about dog droppings. It's not talking about oil patches. It's not even speaking about conversations and relationships. What Koheleth begins to bring up here and bring to the front of our attention is religion. So what is it that the preacher means when he says, as you go into religious practices, be very careful where you step. That's what we're going to talk about today. But let's pray together before... We take apart these seven verses, try to put them back together and apply them to our lives. God, thank you for uh, just the sweet spirit that we've already experienced, God, in singing, in prayers for our community and our schools, God, in just the ability to sit next to one another, to smile, to greet one another. God, may we never take that for granted in in the enrichment that it brings to our souls. May we forever be grateful for a church a group of broken people who have found a perfect Savior. God, today as we think just a moment about what it means and what it should look like as we go into worship and as we speak in worship, I pray that our hearts are challenged, our minds are, are stretched, and our lives are changed. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray together as a family. Amen. All right, so like I said, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I'm going to read to you the first two verses. You follow along in uh, the Bible. Hopefully you have one there in your hands. Maybe you can download one real quick. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1 says this. Guard your steps. That's what we already talked Like, watch out. Be careful where you step. When you go to the house of God, better to approach in obedience than to offer sacrifices as fools do keep that mind or that word sacrifice is there in your mind as fools do for they ignorantly do what is wrong Koheleth, teacher, preacher, here, he brings up this idea of approaching uh, the the house of God. And I want to be careful here as, as we talk about the idea that we understand what's fully going on. I have a friend who tweets every Saturday that Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision. That's his Saturday night tweet. That's what he does. And he's right. That. As we come to church, it is something that we need to come prepared for. What Kohela calls approach, or when we go. This approaching, we need to go into worship prepared for. How many of you remember, or how many of you have ever seen what is called a Scantron? How many of y'all do that? How many know that? All right. Some of the younger college students, do they still use those? Do you use Scantrons? They do? All right, they used to use them a lot. So that was the only way that we took exams. I showed up one time for a history final, a history final. And I didn't have a Scantron. And no one next to me had a Scantron. This means I could not take the test. I very vividly remember running across our campus as fast as I could in the Texas heat, getting to our bookstore and paying like $12.50 for three Scantrons or something like that, and running back to uh, the class there where I hurriedly took this exam. I showed up to the exam not prepared. But that wasn't my professor's fault. She didn't do anything that would warrant the blame. And that wasn't my school or the institution's fault. That was my fault. I couldn't participate. I couldn't do what I needed to do. Why? Because I was not prepared. That's what Koheleth wants us to. Make sure that we get in our brains first off, that when you go to the house of God, you need to approach, you need to be prepared. Now, when we speak of the house of God, uh, don't, don't lump that just into the building. That's sort of the way that we would understand. We'd be like, this is the house of God. Or if you're very smart, you're a New Testament scholarship, you would be like, I am the house of God. God abides within me. But that's, neither of those are really the concept that Koheleth is trying to teach here. It's more about the presence of God, any sort of worship. So this isn't just talking about when you go to church. This is also referring to the idea what we would commonly say, like when you read your Bible or when you pray when you sing, when you serve, when you give, all of the religious practices. In other words, when you go to worship, when you go to practice your religion, then you need to approach it, be prepared in two ways. Be prepared in two ways. The first one is there in verse one. It says, it is better to approach in obedience. Obedience. This is one of the bedrock foundational ideas to when we approach our worship gatherings. But it begs the question, obey what? What am I supposed to obey? What are the rules? I'm happy to do it, right? I mean, I think we all are. If God is telling us to do something, then what are the things that God is telling us to do when we go to worship, or we read our Bibles, or we pray. It's kind of like the speed limit. I I know how to find it. I know how to read it. I know how to obey it. So when it comes to my personal and my corporate worship, if Koheleth is saying that it is better to approach those things in obedience, then what am I supposed to be obeying? What are the speed limits to worship? Well, there's a number of them, and I'm sure we could come up with a bunch of them, but I just listed out a few here. The first one I listed was just that you gather. In our vernacular, the way we would say it is that you go to church, that you come to the worship gathering, that church is a blessing, that this worship gathering is a blessing. Now, to be clear, church is a people, it is not a place, church is a family, it is not an event. However, that's just the way that we say it. And I would reiterate that, go to church. And this is something that we really have to get straight in our brains because I hear songs to the, to the contrary. I hear people talk to the contrary. And although I think that they mean well by it, Christianity is not something that you can do by yourself. It's not something that you can experience by yourself. A, because it is not a solo sport, but B, because he didn't leave that option open. God said, go to church. All right? It's good for you. All right, this is what he's telling you. You got to do it. You got to do it. Why? At least because he told us to. So, you know, go to church. That would be another thing. Another one is financial support. I know people don't like when preachers talk about that, but the Bible talks about it, and I'm supposed to tell you what the Bible says. Rooted in Old Testament commands, lived out in New Testament illustration, the Bible expects, commands us to financially support the mission and ministry of Christ through your local church. That's what He says, Another one is to care for one another, to love one another, to shoulder one another's burdens, to hold one another accountable. There are a bunch of what I call the one another's in the New Testament. For fun one day, just look them all up. Look them all up and then ask yourself, am I doing that? Because all of that is something that we are supposed to do. It's not an option. These are commands. When we go to worship, when we read our Bibles, when we pray, when we try to live out our Christian life, when we live out whatever we call our religion. Now, listen, it's kind of common and it's popular and it has been for decades. It's not a new thing, but to sort of downplay the idea of religion. In this church, whenever I say religion, all I mean is the way we live out the relationship between us and God. And everyone, everyone has a religion. Even the irreligious are religious. Uh, We live in Arkansas, so at least there's the religion of the SEC. So there are—everybody has a religion, right? It's just the way that we live out our relationship with our God. So as we live out our relationship, we need to live it out, first of all, obediently. And then second of all, carefully. Look at verse 2. Do not be hasty to speak, and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. So let your words be few. As Pastor David and I were working through this text this week, this word here, uh, uh, carefully, was the hardest one to choose. Obedient was in the, it says, uh, make sure that you approach obediently. It's better to approach obediently. But how do we counter, do not be hasty, do not be impulsive? What would be the positive way to say that? Uh, we, we threw out the idea, like, Slow. Uh, that would be the opposite, right, of hasty and impulsive. Don't be—be be slow. Um, but I just couldn't see myself standing up here and preach. When you go to church, go to church slow. When you pray, pray slow. I, I just—I didn't really communicate the idea, you know what I mean? And so what would be the opposite of hasty and impulsive? We, we finally came up with this idea of careful or deliberate or intentional— So the opposite is not to just don't rush in. When you come to worship, remember that when you are coming to worship, again, whether it's corporate like we're doing now or personal in your personal Bible study, what you need to remember is it's not about what you are here to do. Church is not about what you are here to do. It's not about your attending. It's not about your being seen or singing. It's not about your teaching or preaching. It's about what God is doing and what he will do in and through you. That's what worship is about. But we often start to think that it is about us. Everything that we do in our worship, in our religion, is about Jesus. I know you know this, but it's a good reminder. I think that this idea of careful consideration really complements obedience. Careful consideration and obedience, they have to go together. You have to have a hand on both of those ideas. Why? Because we are so often tempted or in danger of obeying simply out of duty or tradition. That I go to church just because I'm Post to go to church. I go to church because this is what we've always done. My mama goes to church and my grandmama goes to church, and we've just always done this. And, and why do we do it? I don't really know why I do this. And I don't really know why we sing some songs and then we all just sit down and, and then some guy starts talking. I don't know why we do any of this. That's why the Kohela tells us to make sure that there is intentionality, that there's thought, that it's deliberate, that we're not just rushing through the motions. That our worship is about something more than us. Singing or being kind or serving in some sort of ministry that all of this work has to, um, uh, is about intentionality. Example, going back. Remember the things that I listed? Giving, financial giving. Think about it for a second. And I know y'all don't ever think about this, but we do. Where does the giving portion, like the financial part, fit into a worship service? It feels weird, right? I'll I'll just say it feels weird. You might say, no, it feels totally good. I love it. It's my favorite part. Um, That could be you. But um, for the rest of us, when we're trying to figure out the worship service, do you put it at the beginning? Do you put it in the middle? Do you put it in the middle of songs? Because it's like singing, and then you're participating, and and you're giving. What if you put it after the preaching? But then that feels kind of like you're tipping, like, yeah, it was an okay sermon. And so you, you give a little bit of money there. I didn't like this one, you know. That sort of thing. So you see how it, it could feel differently. In fact, a lot of times when we talk about giving, we put it in the idea of like God's billing department is expecting you to give an amount. And he knows how much you're supposed to. So you better write that and you, you paid your bill. That sort of thing. But that's where intentionality, careful consideration comes into play. Whether you're giving in the boxes when you leave the service through an envelope or if you are direct deposit from your account, there is intentionality to it. There is a careful consideration. My family and I, we don't just give financially because it's something that we are supposed to do. We give financially because there is intentionality to it. Because I know that people will hear the gospel, that lives will be changed when I worship in this way. That's why it's worship. That's why when you sit there and you listen and your soul is challenged and your brain is stretched, that's why it's worship. So we are here now. When you go to worship, here's the way that we do it, obediently and carefully. But now, what do we do? Now that we're here, what do we do? It reminds me of a first date. Are you the guy or were you the guy or do you know the guy who is so nervous about that first date? He's all worried about what he's going to wear, when he picks her up, where he's going to take her, what he smells like, all these sort of things that when he finally gets to the date, he just sits there because he doesn't really know what to say. You ever, you ever known that guy? Any of y'all married that guy? You know, because it's like, I don't know what to say. And And the girls over there going, this is the worst date I've ever been. And he put so much thought into it. But then what do we say? Because we all know that what we say matters a lot. So let's talk about talking for just a moment. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, Just as dreams accompany much labor, so also a fool's voice comes with many words. How's that for encouraging to you? If you talk a lot, you're a fool. That's what Ecclesiastes 5 verse 3 says, which is a very weird thing for a preacher to read, all right? Because that's what I do, is I talk. So what is the idea? He's going to spend the next few lines here covering the topic of what you say in your worship, which is important to us because we are people of the book. That's that's, that's a phrase that people say. We are a faith of the word. And I'm not just talking about Christians in general because I believe that is true, but Baptists in, uh, specifically really hold to that. That is something that we really want to hold as a value. We're not always uh, good at following through with that, but that's something that we hold as a value. Whenever there's a conflict between my experiences and my preferences and the word of God, we always want to ask the question, Well, what does the Bible say? And more so than that, we want to do what it says, all right? That's just a, um, it's a staple for Baptists. It's a staple for Christians, but it's really something that Baptists seem to hone in on. And yet, we will come to Baptist worship services, and we'll spend a great deal of our time contributing words. Not the words in the Bible, but our own words. The words that we sing, the words that we use to greet one another, the words that the preacher says, or the small group discussion leader asks, and the words that you use to discuss. All of these are these words that we are contributing. So let's think about it, even though we don't regularly think about it. Let's think about the words that we say in worship. Verse 4. When you make a vow to God, don't delay fulfilling it, because He does not delight in fools. Fulfill What you vow. Better that you do not vow than that you vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth bring guilt on you, and do not say in the presence of the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry with your words and destroy the works of your hands? Verse uh, 7, last verse. For many dreams bring futility, and so do many words. Therefore, fear God. So, one way to understand this text is it really divides into two main categories. Two big warnings. Two big ones right here. What the koalith is going to warn us about are too big don't do that. Alright? And the first one is this. The first thing that the teacher says don't do that is don't talk big. He says you talk too big. Did you notice uh, how many times he used the word vow? Four times in verse 4 and 5. And a vow... A vow is a promise. I was at a wedding last night. That's a, they take vows. He promises her. She promises him. You might make a vow to God. It's a promise. It's a life or death situation, right? Till death do us part. That's what a vow is. It's stronger than a promise. And he's talking about this in this big talk. And people will tend to do that with God. Have you ever noticed that? People make vows to God all the time. Like uh, one of the famous ones is, God if I win the lottery, then I will give half of it to the church. And sometimes people will ask me that. Pastor, if I win the lottery and, uh, and if I give you half of that, will that be okay? And the answer to that is yes, of course that is okay. Um, give half of it. I, I, I really give 10% half of whatever God leads you to do. But. Nobody thinks you're going to do it in the first place, and that's why it's okay. You know how I know that? Because you'll get a scratch-off ticket, and you'll win $5 and turn around and spend $6 on a Snickers and a Yoo-Hoo. You're not giving half of $5 to God. I don't think you're giving half of nothing to God, right? Because we make big promises. God, if this, then that. I've heard of foxhole prayers in which a soldier will be in the middle of a conflict, and in that conflict, he'll pray, God, if you get me out of this, I'll live my life differently. I've heard people pray big prayers, big vows. That says, God, if um, I'll, I'll, I'll get sober. I'll walk the straight and narrow if my wife will just come home tonight. If she won't actually leave me like she said she would. God, I'll, I'll be a good employee. I'll do all the right things. I'll follow all the stipulations and the policies and the guidelines if I don't get caught with the dumb thing that I just did. I promise I'll be different. I'll live these ways. We, we make these huge vows about our lives and about the change in our lives and how we're going to live our lives out if only God would do these things. We talk, we talk big. And to be fair, in the Bible, there are vows in the Bible that, that the people actually fulfilled. Samuel's mama, Hannah, she prayed, God, if you give me a child... I will give that child to the tabernacle. I will let that child be raised in the tabernacle and uh, he will be a servant of the Lord. And she did that. God gave her a son and he was Samuel. And so that's a good thing. These vows are carried out. But there are other texts that just warn us about talking too big. Numbers 3 verse 2 says, When a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to put himself under an obligation, he must not break his word. He must do whatever he promises. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, quotes the same passage again. So there's this concept in the Bible that if you make a promise to God, then you better fulfill that promise. If you say you're going to do something, then do it. But, the Bible says, it's best that you don't. It's best that you don't. You have, this kind of relates to last week's text, you have no control over what happens or the future. So it's best not to bet on the future, So there's this big caution. And we can joke about lottery tickets and foxhole prayers, but it really isn't a joking matter. We all know people that are frustrating because they cannot be trusted. How much more arrogant, how much more flippant to make a promise to God and then never intend to fulfill it? So the first thing that the Koelith is telling us is, when you come to worship, don't talk too big. The second thing that he says is, don't talk too much you talk too big you talk too much verse 7 for many dreams bring futility so do many words therefore fear god we have that tendency to talk too much there's the there's the futility word that's hebel in the hebrew that word that we talked about it means vapor it means um smoke that many words seem like they're going to make a difference. They seem like they're going to have a lasting impact, but we know that they they don't reality, they don't in reality have a lasting impact. The real danger here is that if you are talking, you cannot be, what? Listening. My dad said to me, as I'm sure your dad said to you, that God gave you two ears and one mouth so you can listen twice as much as you speak. That's what my dad said. I have no idea why he felt compelled to tell me that repeatedly, but he did. Two ears, one mouth, listen twice as much as you speak. Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses is recounting a story. Moses is retelling something that had already happened. And the way that Moses says it is this that one day he went up to the mountain of God to meet with God, and and the elders, the tribal leaders all came with him. They heard the voice of God. They saw the thunder and the lightning. They saw the dark cloud and the fire. And they eventually pulled Moses off to the side and said, We went up there, we heard all that, and we don't want to do it again. That was scary. So from now on, you go up there and you listen and and then you come back and tell us what's going on. Verse 27 says this, it's the key point. He says, go near, this is what the tribal leaders tell Moses, go near and listen to everything that the Lord God says. Then you can tell us everything that the Lord God tells you and we will listen and obey. Did you catch that? These are the literal words of God, the audible words heard words of God. And they thought, "Mm, that's a little too scary for us. And even in that confusion, they still say it exactly right. That when you hear, or when you find out, when somebody tells you what God says, then the first obligation for us is not to speak, but it's to listen. Listen and obey. Which brings us right back to the very first point that I made this morning, which was when we approach God, we approach in obedience. Deuteronomy 5 verse 27 sums up the whole thing for us. Listen and obey. That's what religion does. That's the way that we live it out in a way that is honoring to God. We love to comment on the commands. We love to discuss the discourse, but what we don't like to do is listen. The first and primary step in worship is listening, And it's easy for us to take texts like this and really kind of apply it to our lives. And I know that's what you're doing right now. And I know in your small groups, you're going to open this text up and kind of say, now, how do we obey and worship? How exactly do we speak words that are honoring to God and listen more than we speak? That's good to apply it to ourselves. But just for a second, just for a moment, don't apply it to you. Apply it to Jesus. Watch this. Jesus perfectly lived out these two religious practices. He absolutely was obedient. The Bible says that Jesus was obedient to the point of death, and that the sacrifice, remember in verse 1 when I said, pay attention to that word sacrifice, keep it for later? This is later. That sacrifice that Jesus gave was himself. Jesus perfectly obeyed in order to sacrifice himself. Why? To make a promise. To make a vow and it's an important vow he says that anyone who believes in me though he die he shall live that's what jesus did jesus perfectly obeyed to keep his word and so what do we do in response to that what do we do in our religion that is based on that man and what he taught and what he did what do we do in response to that we we listen and we obey we trust in jesus christ we trust in what he has done and i know for some of you you're sitting here and and you're new to church and and this is your first time to be with a, a church at all or maybe a baptist church or you're watching in online from wherever it is that you are watching and that's the point that sticks with you right you get the other stuff all that makes sense it's kind of like what you would expect you know that's what preachers say but this part about trusting jesus how do you trust jesus How do you put your faith and your trust in a person that you've never met? How does that even work out in real life? And to that, I would encourage you to to grab one of those cards I spoke about earlier. Fill it out, mark it up. Tell me, I don't understand this part or I do understand and that's what I'm doing right now. Fill out that card and bring that to me or drop that in the boxes and we'll connect later and I'd love to answer those questions to you or somebody on our ministerial or pastoral team would love to connect with you about that. This whole discussion really pushes us to ask the same question that we've been asking all the way through Ecclesiastes. The same question that we asked about our jobs, remember that last week? Enjoy your work. The same questions that we asked about our education and wisdom and relationships or whatever else. That question is this What good is it? What good is religion under the sun? What do I actually do with religion? As I see it, there are two approaches to use Kohela's word, two approaches to religion. First of all is the idea that religion is about me. It's about what I do, what I say. And we're good at that. And even sometimes we emphasize that. We want people to use their words in singing, teaching, preaching, leading here and in the community. We want that, but we need to be careful that we don't make it about us, that we make it and remember that religion is not about me. Religion is about him. Religion is about God. You see, the danger of it all is to make ourselves the point of what we do. We begin to think that we are actually the star on God's starting team. That, the, that he is here, or that he's here actually to serve us. But what we say and what we do, why we say and why we do, how we say it and how we do it is all about Jesus. That's true religion. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. So in all of the areas of my life, especially those that we consider religious, this is how it fleshes out. When we read our Bibles, when we study our Bibles, we're not looking in the Bible for that proof text that already proves my preference or validates my perspective. There's intentionality and discipline. We're gonna read through the Bible because we're gonna let the Bible speak to us. We're not just only and ever reading that one verse of the day from the Version Bible app. When we pray, we pray broadly, thanking God for what He has done, spending time in silence, listening for His leadership. We pray for medical things, of course, but we pray for lost people by name, because we know lost people by name. We pray for God to be glorified and not just for Him to fulfill the list of wants and to check off the boxes of the things we would like for Him to do. When our worship gatherings, we come here expecting to hear from God, we come here expecting to be made uncomfortable. We want to hear God more than we want to be seen or be heard ourselves. We are here when no one else notices and we are always looking for the stranger, for the hurting, for the outcast. In our service for the church, we serve in unseen places. We serve so that others can worship. We serve even if it's not exactly our cup of tea or exactly what we want to do. We want to work for God's glory and to echo the words of Christ when he said that the Son of Man came to serve not be served. It's like the dozen or so that showed up here yesterday on our campus and chopped down tree stumps and cleaned furniture and moved furniture and made room for other small groups to gather. That's what we do. We give sacrificially just as Jesus did. Not just what fits comfortably in our budget after our new house and nice car and neat tech, all is bought and paid for, but before that we give knowing That people will hear the gospel because we give. We participate in small groups, speaking up and joining in the conversation because God may be using our words to encourage somebody else. Even when our words are silence, we are quiet and we sit and we listen with the other person that is hurting. We help out and hang out for the good of our own souls and the good of other people's souls. We invite we take effort and expend energy trying to get everyone on our street, everyone in our office, everyone in our class, everyone in our dorm to see and to know Jesus and then to experience the second family. This is what we do. This is religion. This is what Christians do. We obey carefully and we listen and we speak few. Sometimes it feels like it's pointless or wasted. But none of it is. Every investment in what God is doing in our schools, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our nation, and around the world is not wasted. So long as that everything that we do is for the good of others and the glory of God. I was running errands this week. I was in my truck, and the boys were with me, and we were running around dropping stuff off and picking things up, you know, like everybody else does. And we had the radio on and we were listening to a Christian uh, radio station and, and the DJ on there was asking a question. The, the radio personality was, was asking this question. And as a pastor, it was hard to listen to. As a human, it's hard to listen to any DJ or person just keep on talking when they should be playing music. But besides that, it was just hard to listen to the question. And not so much the question, but the answers. The answers were so anti-christian they were so off from the gospel so outside of biblical norm that i just felt compelled i i I, there was a part of me as a pastor that just wanted to scream into the radio that y'all are missing it there's a part of me as a pastor that just wanted to like uh i don't know like be kind and put my arm around somebody and say you're missing it both of those emotions were true i had to stop the radio silence it so i could tell the boys that this is not right I was telling Jackie about it earlier. It's a nationally syndicated show that I was listening to. Jackie had heard the show earlier and stopped the radio and already lectured the boys. So they got two parent lectures this week. Two parent lectures because we were so compelled by this one question. When do you know it is time to leave your church? That's just not something I want the radio to handle, all right? But, and listen to me, I'm not saying there aren't reasons to leave your church. There are, and people do. And there are good reasons for that. But I didn't hear any of those shared on the radio. All of their answers were things about the way they felt and just what was going on, what was popular, what was something attractive about a different church or another situation. One person said, I walked out and I just didn't miss it. I left and I just really didn't care anymore. Another person said, I walked away and it didn't mean anything to me. It wasn't special enough to me. So it was time for me to leave. And like I said, there are maybe good reasons to leave a church every now and then, but however, the sad reality is that when we make our church, our Bible time, our prayer, our service, our giving all about me, we miss the point from the beginning, and then we call the radio station and we say very sad things like, I just didn't miss it. Because it's not about you. It's about God. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.